Should we have racial affirmative action? In other words, should black people be hired preferentially over white people? We posed this question to a few of the students at WITS to find out what their views are. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I think a person should be hired based on what the employer is looking for. So if an employer is looking for a black person, you must hire a black person. If an employer is looking for a white person, you must hire a white person. But then it, it has to also come back to why are you looking for a black person? Why are you looking for a white person? Yeah. So I don't think a, a, an employer should hire a person also based on their skin, skin color. They should hire them based on what they can offer to their organization. Right, right. But they also should not think before they look at the person that white people are better than black people. Yeah, they must just look at a person's qualities, their qualifications and, and all other things besides white or black. I don't think so. I feel like you should be able to come to school, get qualified and then from there work your way. Not necessarily get certain benefits because of colour. Because we fight against colour so much, so why should we have those those barriers, those benefits to certain races? So I think we need to break away from that and work hard to just get whatever you want to get without having to use your race or your colour to get somewhere. So I think no, no. So I understand where they're coming from with that, but I think you've always got to pick the best person for the job because you see it so many times that somebody's doing the job but they're not they they don't actually want to do the job or they do not have the skills or you know i mean if they're the best candidate for the job then go for it but if you're making an allowance for them and then they're not doing well it's very hard to actually you know like it becomes a big problem because now you have to carry that person because the constitution says is is really well built to protect people so um yeah, I think it just becomes you, you're making a commitment to somebody and you want somebody to be in the best person for the job, not only, especially if you're in the service industry because that passes on to everybody else. And if somebody's not doing their job properly, it's going to affect not only the company but everybody else that the company's supplying or looking after. So. so you think we should hire based on merits? Yes. No, I think that's always the case. It doesn't matter what you're doing, um, you know, when you have get an advantage from somewhere else i don't know if you're going to feel the same because you haven't achieved it or i don't know i don't know it's it's interesting i think when you want to succeed yourself then the best way to do it is through your own achievement so and proving yourself because that's what you have to do where we coming from like the, the number of years that we have since democracy i think it is fair just to I know we cannot um, make up for all the damage, but just to at least um, meet um, black people um, halfway since they were disadvantaged by the system and, and not themselves. Yeah. Yes, although I don't think it works. Um, affirmative action, I studied as an HR where um, I think you had to have a certain number of uh, black people in a company or you could pay. To not so firms would rather pay sometimes so sometimes it really just doesn't work but they've changed that now it's like oh no i don't know what they're going to do now so i do think it's the if if they do put it in and it works then it has to work it has to be done right and there shouldn't be like no two ways or loophole in the system so it should be put into place but at the moment it doesn't really work so no. there's something very interesting which is that you're Zimbabwean is that right yeah. so I think on our affirmative action classification you're not considered black according to our 
our classification system when they're hiring using affirmative action. So you, you would actually be considered white, according to that. So how do you feel about that? <laughs> well, there are a lot of things that are quite wrong about that or classification. Because I understand even uh, Japanese, they are considered white. As well, right? And Chinese, they are considered black. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, which is weird. <laughs> yeah. But I think it it depends with, you know, I think it comes to this whole equity, equality debate, right? Someone should be hired based on their competence, not only based on color of skin, really. But when we talk about affirmative, I think it's just a matter of making sure that um, we broaden the, um, the educational base so that both blacks and whites who have the same access to quality education. Then when it comes to the formal employment, then it's mainly based on your, your qualification. Because, I mean, companies are all about productivity, they're all about competitiveness, and they can't take you because of the color of I think that has to leave. Makes sense. Today we will be discussing what to do in the face of a prior injustice. Specifically in South Africa. So we're looking at specifically South African history and we're saying South Africa has suffered injustice in its past. Okay, so there's an apartheid past in which people of color were disenfranchised and treated horrifically. And the question is, today we're not over 20 years post a government government change, how do we address these wrongs of the past? Correct. There are various wrongs that occurred, but now what we are particularly looking at in this episode is what to do in the workplace, how to correct for wrongs that occurred in the economy in the sense that there were lots of people who were denied job opportunities or jobs on the basis of race. So regarding this particular wrong, what do we do about it today? Correct. So we want to know, is there a hiring policy? In other words, a policy that determines who we hire and who we don't. Is there such a policy that would correct the wrongs of the past? And people have raised such hiring policies. Uh, one of them is affirmative action. And we're going to be looking at affirmative action in a lot of detail and argue about whether it's correct or not. So something that's interesting is that in every episode before this, Cecilia and I have agreed on almost everything. There have been tiny disagreements on on uh, on details, but for the most part, we agree. And what's interesting is in this episode, we quite fundamentally disagree, and that's going to make for some interesting listening. So there's the story that I heard recently. It was on a TED Talk. I'm not a huge fan of TED Talks, but, uh, but I, I quite like this story. So the story is about the six-year-old girl, and the six-year-old girl was in a drawing class at the back of her classroom, and she was furiously scribbling a picture. And this girl doesn't usually participate in class, but this time she was really passionate. And the teacher walks up to, to this little girl and says, what, what are you drawing? And she says, I'm drawing God. And, and the teacher says, I, I didn't know anyone knew what God looked like. And the little girl says, well, they will soon. <laughs> so, so something interesting about small children is they're often not afraid of being wrong. And I think it's important to bring that sense of playfulness to the discussion when it comes to identity politics as well. And something that we're trying to promote in this podcast is how to argue well. 
without making it too emotional and, and helping each other out. And I'll be making certain claims, which I'm sure by the end of the podcast I'll want to change, and maybe Cecilia will as well. So it's okay to change your mind about these things, and we can disagree. You know, Indeed, that's, that's okay. exactly the kind of project that we're engaged in uh, in this particular podcast series. And just to bring the discussion back to the topic. Yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, tangents. not at all. Yeah. <laughs> we love our tangents. <laughs> in this episode, we are going to look at racial affirmative action and the problems with it. We're then going to turn to non-racial affirmative action to see if it can address the problems that exist with racial affirmative action. And in the next episode... Jason is going to have a go at non-racial affirmative action and try and propose a completely different alternative. Okay, so let's start with the first view that we're going to be examining, which is racial affirmative action. In a nutshell, racial affirmative action is preferential hiring on the basis of race. So if you've got two candidates and one candidate is black, then what you can do is... And one is white, right? And one is white, yeah. exactly. So you have one black candidate and one non-black candidate. The black candidate's race is going to count in their favor when it comes to a job application. And how you determine that favor depends on on how you classify your system. You know, it could be a quota-based system, which yes. is quite a, a large advantage, or it could be a, a more graded, careful advantage. It sort of counts towards some percentage increase in, the, in their assessment in getting the job. Exactly. So there are different possibilities when it comes to the weighting of the importance of race. But we're not really going to examine that in too much detail because it's sort of a, a side issue. Of course, it's an important issue, but it's not going to be the focus of, of this discussion. Yeah, those are details we're not going to focus on. We, we want to look at the broad idea of should people's race give them an advantage when they're being hired for a position? Exactly. So there does seem to be one major issue with racial affirmative action, and that's that it relies on this notion of race. And Jason and I have recorded an entire podcast about race and about the problems with it and about how there's no biological marker that is necessary or sufficient for race to obtain. And so on that basis alone, it's an issue. But we're going to put that point aside because otherwise, obviously, our podcast would be very short and we yes. wouldn't, and we, we wouldn't be allowing the racial affirmative action view to get off the ground. Okay. We've argued that there is no way of, of fully accounting for race and understanding what it is. And so maybe we should do away with those categories completely. And it seems like if you're hiring a person because they're black, you're not doing away with the category. Right. And but, you'll need the whole classification. You'll need a classification system. And now how are you going to racially classify people? Are you going to go back to apartheid classification? There are all sorts of issues around race. But let's, let's put that aside. As I said, if that's the objection, you know, the, the whole view would collapse because if there's no such thing as race, you can't have a race based affirmative action. But what we're going to do for the purposes of the next couple of problems with the view is we're going to, we're going to that problem and we're going to assume that race exists. Right. So in total, we're going to be looking at four objections. That was the first. Mm -hmm. And we'll be looking at three more. Let's look at the second objection, Jason. Okay. So this is an objection that is going to be controversial, especially in light of debates that are happening right now around affirmative action. Okay. So suppose you have a policy that says you've got two candidates and you want to choose one candidate over another candidate based on some feature other than their merit at performing their job, right? So whatever that feature is, in this case, in the case of the racialized affirmative action hiring system, you're saying that the feature that you want to hire people based on is their race, 
rather than their merit. Now, that's not to say that people of color are not meritorious. They might be very good at their job. But the point is the system tells you, the affirmative action system, racialized affirmative action system, tells you to hire people based upon a feature not necessarily related to merit. So what that means is that at least some of the time, not all of the time, but at least some of the time, you are going to hire someone who's not as meritorious or not as suited to the position as someone else. And so the problem with racialized affirmative action is that it could promote ineptitude. It doesn't guarantee that the best person has been hired for the job. It leads to this third objection to the view, and that is that it undermines the achievements and the dignity of those who belong to the preferred racial group. Yeah, so the person who is promoted because of their race could feel that their dignity has been undermined. Correct. So suppose I get the job, right, as a black person, and I feel like I can do this job well. I will never know for sure whether I was hired based on merit or based on my race. I will never know. And in addition to me not knowing, the people around me don't we'll know assume. either. Exactly. Yes. My coworkers may say, oh, well, she got the job because she's black. This right? has happened to a friend of mine. She was promoted to a high position and someone came along and asked her, well, you know, do you think this was a, a BEE appointment? Yeah. I, um, I mean, there's... And, and it was clear that she was the best candidate by yes. far for the job. But there will always be that nugget of doubt. Correct. And that undermines the dignity of the person promoted. Just to sum up this issue around dignity, there's this quote from Carl Cohen's book on affirmative action from a person who was promoted on the basis of race. This person says, you always want to believe that you were hired because you were the best, but everything around you is telling you you were brought in for one reason, because you were a quota. No matter how hard I worked or how brilliant I was, it wasn't getting me anywhere. It's a hell of a stigma to overcome. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, there's a number of problems with this. It's unethical. Okay. So it's unethical for various reasons, regardless of what your ethical system is. So if you're a utilitarian, what you care about are people's feelings. And this makes a lot of people very uncomfortable. It makes the people who are hired uncomfortable regardless of whether or not they were hired for merit or because of their race, because they don't know. It also, on a different ethical system, would be wrong. So on a Kantian system, Kant said that you should treat people with respect and dignity. You shouldn't undermine their dignity. This undermines people's dignity. So regardless of what your ethical system is, this is wrong. Really, what, what's interesting about this discussion is that there's certain consequences, unintended consequences. You, you know, when, when, when the law was, was formed around this, no one sat in their office and thought, oh, well, this is going to happen and, and we know it's going to happen, but we'll ignore the problem. No one thought this would happen. You Correct. know, there were the, noble intentions. There were noble intentions. The intention was to give people who need it a leg up. Right. right. The problem is that it's created this culture of distrust amongst employees, mm. a culture where people's dignity is undermined and yeah, people's feelings are hurt. Racial hostility. Yes, and reinforces stereotypes. These yes. are unforeseen consequences to a law that was created for a different purpose. Let's move on to the fourth objection, the final objection to racialized affirmative action. And that objection is a bit more philosophical. Mm -hmm. So all of these objections have really been to the practical workings of, of racialized affirmative action. But there's another problem as well, and that's the problem in an area that I like to look at called social ontology. So social ontology is the study of the existence of groups, and we're trying to look at, like, what are groups? Okay, so we said we're assuming that there's races. Now, here's the thing, right. 
it's one thing to say that races exist. It's another thing to say that races are an incredibly strong, coherent social group. So it's one thing to say they are a social group. It's another thing to say that that social group is so strongly coherent, has such strong bonds, that responsibility can be taken from one member of the group to another member of the group. It looks at people as tokens because particular black people have had wrongs committed against them. Okay, And what we're trying to do really is rectify that state of affairs. Absolutely. And what it does is it doesn't look at those people who were wronged. It just takes people who look similar. Yeah. And assumes that they require the same kind of thing. Yes. The problem is this. The problem is that we're saying that racial identity, your identity as a member of a racial group, is so strong that if something happened to someone who looks like you, you know, that you might never have met them. Right? You might never have had a discussion with them. You don't know their name. You've never heard of them. So long as they have the same skin tone as you. You are entitled to benefits that they're entitled to. And the converse is true as well. So if someone with a skin tone similar to yours did something wrong, harmed someone of a different skin tone, you are equally responsible as the person who did it. Now, this is bizarre, right? I mean, this is an incredibly strong sense of identity that we're talking about. So I want to look at how this analogy works, or, or, or like the different layers of this approach. Okay, so imagine I come up to you, Cecilia, Jason comes up to you, Cecilia, and harms you, right? Mm. Suppose I steal something from you. Mm-hmm. Okay? I steal your car. So I go into your property, take your car. Now, we'd agree that I'm liable for this. We'd agree that I've done something wrong to you, right? I've harmed you, and I owe you some sort of... Right. I owe you, I'm obligated to make this right. Correct. Okay. So we agree on that. I think very few people would disagree with yeah. that. Yeah. Individual to individual. Okay. We, There's clear we, moral responsibility yes. on your part. Yeah. You committed the wrong, therefore you must right it. Right. Now let's start to build in degrees of separation between us. Right. So in the first case, it's very direct. I harm you. Second mm-hmm. case, suppose it's not me that harmed you, but it's my parent. Okay, so I didn't steal your car. My dad stole your car. But now let's say my dad has died. Okay, question, do I owe you something as the son of the person who harmed you? Now, that's a more complex question, right? And it doesn't have a simple solution. It's difficult to wrap one's head around that. You know, are the sons of the fathers guilty for their sins? And that's complex and requires lots of discussion. But that's not even an analogy to affirmative action, right? So now let's take case three. It's not me who stole your car. It's my father who stole your father's car. Okay, so there's now a generation difference on each side. Do I owe you something because my father stole your father's car? Now, that's even more difficult to substantiate. It's more difficult to support the notion that I owe you something. Maybe there's some link. Maybe I owe you something, not the whole amount that was taken. Maybe I owe you a small amount. I'm not sure. We'd have to have lots of discussion about that. But it's it's now really muddy. Now, the correct analogy for affirmative action is a fourth case, which is not that I stole your car, not that my father stole your car, not that my father stole your father's car, but that someone who looks like my father stole a car from someone who looks like your father. 
Now am I responsible for giving you reparations for the theft of someone who looks like my father stealing from someone who looked like your father? That's very strange. So this is the social ontology problem. The problem is we think race is so, such a strong sense of group identity that it carries through not just between generations, but between people who look like people over generations on both sides of the equation. That to me is very strange. I think that wraps up all our objections to racial affirmative action for now. These are the main ones that we wanted to put forward in the podcast. Yeah, I mean, there are others, there but are these others. are the four that we're focusing on. Exactly. We're on the same page here. Always we both agree page. that these are four problems with racialized affirmative action. Indeed. Now, Cecilia and I have different solutions to this problem. Right. Okay. And both solutions, you know, have their problems. And ultimately, it really just is about weighing up which bullets one is prepared to bite and which not. Yeah. So we're going to examine the two further solutions to the question that we posed at the beginning of the podcast. Let's look at non-racial affirmative action, which is an alternative to racial affirmative action. And I suggest it's a better alternative to racial affirmative action. So it still involves affirmative action, but not based on race. Correct. Exactly. It's a race-neutral approach, but it can be seen to be effective in overcoming the lingering consequences of past discrimination and also opening up opportunities to those who have been held back in the past and those who are held back in the present. So it looks to address past wrongs, but it also looks to address current inequality. Basically, it's trying to answer two questions. And the first question is, how do we resolve past injustice? The second is, how do we build a just society today? Correct. And on this approach... What one looks at is a bunch of socioeconomic factors. In particular, you would look at your income, your parents' income, your parents' professions, where exactly you went to school, did you have running water and electricity while you were growing up, all that kind of thing would go into the factors that one would assess when looking to use preferential hiring regarding a particular candidate. So the racialized affirmative action proponent is saying, when you've got two people who are equally good at a job and one is black, choose the black person. You're saying when two people are equally good at a job, look at this bunch, this basket of other features, right? So look at their circumstance, look at where they come from, look at their socioeconomic features. So you assess all of those and then you say, if that candidate has 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 a poorer background, then choose them. Right. So let me but give But race you, is not one of those features. Correct. Let me give you a concrete example. Let's take two candidates who are applying for a job. One kid went to a township school and lived in a shack and had to commute two hours back and forth to a school. The other kid went to a very fancy private school and had all the luxuries of various tutors, etc. And let's assume that both candidates have the same mark. What you'll want to perhaps do is go for the candidate who comes from the disadvantaged background because he was able to achieve that mark despite all the hardships he faced. A sophisticated notion of merit, which builds into it the idea of perseverance to be able to deal with hardship. That is one way of looking at the non-racial affirmative action view. Okay, so you choose the more meritorious 
candidate. It's just when there's two candidates who achieve the same mark at university and you're hiring straight out of, out of university, you choose the candidate who's come from more difficult circumstances because it shows that they have perseverance or grit and that actually boosts their merit in their job. If you, if you show more perseverance in life, you're more likely to do well at a job. Correct. You're more likely to do well because there are very few jobs in which perseverance isn't going to be necessary. Okay. So really what you're saying is that everyone should be given an equal opportunity to to get the same job. And in assessing that opportunity, you would look at their prior their past. You'd look at kind their of. circumstance I mean, it, yes. and you'd count that towards their merit when assessing them for the job. Yes. So it's not saying that everyone ought to have equal opportunity regarding a particular job. Obviously, there has to be a, a certain level of qualification. You know, we have to look at, you know, we have to compare apples with apples. We can't have a guy who doesn't have, you know, qualifications in engineering applying to become an engineer and sort of boost him because, you know, he's shown perseverance in particular fields. It's, okay. it's obviously the details a very, it's of a this. New, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll get an need to be worked out. Um, just as the details for racialized affirmative action would need to be worked out, you need to decide whether it only obtains when you've got a tie Correct. in terms of other features, Correct. and that's when the the previous disadvantage tips the scale, Correct. or whether even when there's a, a difference in qualification mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. the previous disadvantage then weighs in. Exactly. So if you have a disadvantaged kid who has a B and a, and a very privileged kid who has an A, do we make that B count as an A yeah. because of the hardship that the disadvantaged kid was able to overcome to get that B? Yeah, and it these, might, are, these yeah. are difficult questions to very answer. They're a challenge for your view, but they're equally a challenge for the racialized affirmative action view because they have to decide how much weighting race plays when determining who gets the job. Correct. Ultimately, it's a question of metrics. Yes. And my problem with your position is not the problem of metrics. That is a problem and it is a challenge for your view, but let's put that aside. Let's look at the benefits of the view first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, so you're going to now argue your case for why this position is better than racialized affirmative action. Correct. So I think one major reason for which this position is preferable over a racialized position is that you don't need to look at race. And firstly, we know that race is hell of a messy when it comes to metaphysics, etc. And so we do away with that entire thing. But also it picks out the right individuals. It's not a group-based type approach that racial affirmative action is, where you can benefit someone who looks like someone else, even though they haven't had the same injustice occurring to them. Yeah, you're looking at each individual circumstances, regardless of their race, and you're saying it depends on where you came from and the hardships you've had to suffer. And, you know, black people might be people who have suffered hardships, certain black people, but certain white people too. And, and you, you're going to give people a, a leg up depending on where that particular individual has come from, not mm. people that look like them have come from. Sure. In South Africa, it would be the case that, you know, a majority of the beneficiaries of non-racial affirmative action would turn out to be black because it is just the case that we still have, you know, these issues that are lingering from the past in the sense that the majority, you know, who happen to be black don't have good access to schools, good access to healthcare, access to housing, etc. So it would be the case that most 
most of the beneficiaries would be black, but they would not. But be. not all necessarily. No, exactly. Uh, so it's a clever, it's a clever approach because you're trying to give the racialized affirmative action proponent, the the social justice warrior, what they want, right? But you're trying to do it from a different framework. And if we're looking particularly at those people who were wronged under the apartheid regime, you can formulate questions to pinpoint those individuals. Did you suffer wrongs due to the apartheid regime? You don't have to ask any racial questions, and yet you would be picking out the very people who were harmed on the basis of this alleged race. Right. So there's that argument for it. The second argument for non-racial affirmative action is that it uh, it looks like it can solve the ineptitude problem because what we're doing is we're looking at factors that speak to merit and we're looking at a more sophisticated account of merit by including factors such as determination, grit, ability to overcome hardship, Let perseverance. Let me just clarify what the ineptitude problem is and then how yours solves it. Okay, so, mm. so the ineptitude problem that the racialized affirmative action proponent faces is is that because a candidate could be hired on the basis of their race rather than based on their merit, there is no guarantee that they will be apt at their job. They, they may, they may fill a role in an inept way. And you're saying, no, in this case of, of someone hired for non-racial reasons, but still through affirmative action, um, because of the basket of features that, that, that you're suggesting, that basket of features suggests that, that that person has perseverance or grit and that will help them in their job. So what you're doing is you, you, you are still hiring the best candidate. So there's not going to be this problem of ineptitude. Correct. It's just an, an enlarged or more correct or more sophisticated notion of merit. Right. That, so that you, you're just saying that. that merit should include the features that disadvantaged people have to promote in their lives, like perseverance or grit, and that's going to help them in their jobs. Correct. So there's that benefit as well over racialized affirmative action. And very closely linked to this, as was the case with the racial affirmative action view, is the issue around dignity. Because you would be hiring the most meritorious candidate – it seems to solve the dignity problem that the racial affirmative action view faces because what you're doing is you're going to be hiring the best possible candidate, the most meritorious candidate. Just keeping in, into consideration that by merit here, you're including perseverance. Correct, including perseverance and grit and that kind of thing. And so ultimately, it's not like you're just getting a handout. Your efforts and ability and aptitude are being recognized. Your hardships are being recognized. And it looks like your position also solves the social ontology problem that I raised mm. because it doesn't presume this very strong notion of groups, right? You mm. know, we're not relying on the notion of race. Mm. We're looking at individuals mm. and saying promote individuals based mm. on their circumstance. Mm. So it seems like you solve all four problems. Just back to the, the third benefit, which is the, the issue around dignity. It's also the case that you don't wear your socioeconomic disadvantage on your sleeve. So, you know, people don't see socioeconomic disadvantage as they see race. And so, um, you know, you're also doing away with the possibility of pernicious stereotypes, pernicious racial stereotypes that go with the racial affirmative action view. So it sounds idyllic, right? <laughs> it sounds perfect. What Can could I possibly? Why could I possibly? <laughs> no, 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 I'm serious. <laughs> it, it, it sounds really good. I mean, I, okay. So here's what I will say. I will say that it is a very clever view, because what you're trying to do is solve a problem, a racial problem, in a non-racial way, Correct. and that's very clever. You're trying to give the racialized affirmative action proponent, the social justice warrior, everything they want. 
right? You're trying to give them everything they want without accepting the ontological assumptions of race and without the dignity loss and the ineptitude. It sounds great. Okay. And in addition, you're trying to solve another problem, not just fix past injustice, but you're trying to create a system that will create a just society today, a way that we can go forward, right? So you're saying that putting aside issues of the past, this system is going to create a society of of hiring preferences that will create the most just society we can construct going forward. Correct. So it sounds great. Okay. And now we have to disagree. Okay. So so we've we've made the case for your position. Now I'd like to make the case against it. We hope you found this episode interesting on our discussion of affirmative action. In our next episode, I'm going to present some objections to Cecilia's account of non-racialized affirmative action and provide you with an entirely different alternative. Many thanks to our sanity checker, Mark Oppenheimer, for his invaluable input around the content of this episode. And thanks to Victor, Molly, Sean, Gugu, Tefatswa, and Ketanda for speaking to us on campus. This is CliffCentral.com.